Father, we thank you that even this very moment, you are making straight the ways of your kingdom, that you are illuminating, illuminating for us a path in the darkness that we may see our Lord. Remind us afresh today, as we've already sung, of where we are headed, of the joy that awaits us, that one day we will feast in the kingdom of our Lord and weep no more. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning to you all. It's always fun to see who's here. I feel like I need to take a minute because when we start, there aren't quite as few of you. And so it's good to see you all. Welcome. Um, never quite sure who you are because I can only see about this much. But it's good to see you here. Good to welcome you online if you are with us online today. Uh, today begins the uh, third week of Advent, the third Sunday of Advent, 304. And as you may have noticed when you came in, we now have the rose-colored candle lit. And if you're not aware of this custom or this tradition of lighting candles to mark the weeks, uh, one candle for each week. And the third week is always rose-colored. It's always pink. And you may not know why, or you may not have grown up with that. You may have uh, just thought we ran out of purple candles and we hoped you wouldn't notice which is not the case. It is intentional. We intentionally have that color because the third Sunday of Advent around the world is called Gaudete Sunday, which is the Latin word for rejoice. Today is the Sunday of rejoicing. It's Rejoice Sunday because we are inching our way ever closer to the birth of our Lord. And so as we do, the light grows all the more brighter. We get closer and closer to the light of Christ. And so the pink color is meant to signify the, the lightening of that darkness. It's a lighter shade of that purple. Uh, and so that's, that's what, what we focus on today. The theme today is this theme of joy, this theme of rejoicing. We will continue really to focus on our Old Testament readings. We've spent a couple weeks in Advent in Isaiah, and we will continue to do so today. But let me just say this as we, as we kind of dive in to continue to set the stage for us a bit. I think I mentioned the last couple of weeks that traditionally Advent is a season of fasting. Advent is a season of preparation. It's meant to look in many ways similar to Lent. It's a season that makes us ready for a day of great joy either Easter or Christmas. It has a very similar tone. And yet, today reminds us of the way in which we fast, the way in which we prepare, the way in which we wait as the family of God, that we do so as people filled with joy, who rejoice with this joyful anticipation as we enter our way closer. And so uh, we live in a place of tension today, this week, I invite you to live into that tension, to sit with the very real brokenness in our world, the very real pain that we all experience collectively and personally, and yet to do so with this uncompromising sense of joy. That's what we are invited to do as Christians. It's what we have seen throughout the ages in the church and then all the way back into Israel's story, these people who cling to joy even in the face of struggle. And they've had to learn the hard way. That's what we read throughout the Old Testament, learning the hard way of what to do when you have these moments of joy and yet still find yourself in places of struggle. And that's one of the lessons, one of the great lessons we can learn from Isaiah. As you came in today, you may have noticed next to the Christmas tree out front that Rome also put a menorah out. 
Uh, a few of you last week asked me, like, is that our menorah? Did we put that out? Uh, we did not. Um, I think it is Rome trying to cover all their bases for the holidays. And yet, it's been a very interesting talking point because if you don't know about the menorah, uh, the menorah is used in Jewish custom to celebrate and mark the, the eight days of Hanukkah. I knew nothing about Hanukkah as a child. Uh, the only reason I knew Hanukkah existed was thanks to Adam Sandler. Because Adam Sandler had a song about Hanukkah, which always intrigued me. Because he would say, if you know the song, that instead of one day of presents, we have eight crazy nights. And I always thought, ooh, tell me more. Tell me more about those eight crazy nights. Uh, as a 14, 15-year-old kid, it was very intriguing. As an adult now, realizing it's eight days celebrating the Maccabean Revolt, it's, <laughs> it's a little less exciting, a little less crazy than I once thought. Um, but very helpful for our theme today. Because Hanukkah celebrates the Maccabean Revolt, in which Judas Maccabeus led a rebellion against the Hellenistic oppressors. And so for eight days, they celebrate the rededication of the temple. And that's an event that takes place between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. There's roughly 400 years that, that is unaccounted for in our modern Bibles, from the end of the Old to the beginning of the New. And I always wondered, even as a kid, like, is that lost history? What happened there? I remember asking my Sunday school teacher, what happened in those 400 years? And they were always like, I don't know, it's crazy. And turns out people do know. There's quite a lot of history that we can read about. Um, most of it or much of it is recorded in what we would call the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanonical books. Um, and if you think like the devil lives in those books... <laughs> Um, which I was raised to believe, it's not true. They're actually incredibly beautiful and helpful, full of wisdom and history. So if you've never read them, go read them. Go read about the Maccabean um, period in Jewish history. It really helps fill in some of those gaps. If you've ever wondered what happened, much of that history you can find in those books. But that's a bit of a rabbit trail. Uh, here's why I'm talking about this. Specifically Hanukkah. We were, as a Trinity staff, talking about this earlier this week. All three locations were together. And we were reflecting on this theme, this theme of struggle and the way in which struggle seems to be a reoccurring reality in our lives. If we find a moment of joy, we find a moment of peace, eventually struggle will rear its head again. And we have to deal with that again. Because what you see in Jewish history is their deliverance, we could say. Their deliverance from their oppressor was not lasting whether it was the Egyptians or the Babylonians, or as Hanukkah remembers, the Maccabean deliverance, whether it's the Romans, whatever it was, they had these moments of deliverance, and yet they then found themselves in a place of struggle again. They found themselves again wrestling with uh, the sense of difficulty, the fact in which their life is not how they want it to be. Their life is not what they thought it would be. And I would just say, I think for us, there's a real lesson there, because it's no different in our lives as well. 2020 seems to be the year of collective struggle. We have all struggled in one way or another, some more severely than others, and yet it seems that at this moment, all we can talk about as a society is deliverance and the hope for deliverance from this oppressor. Uh, if you read the news, all you will read is either about the election or about the hopes of a vaccine. It seems that that's all, at least all I can find when I read the news. Even this weekend, as we speak, Vaccines are on 18-wheelers being driven all around our country, and there's this collective sense that deliverance is almost here. Freedom is almost finally arriving. And so we, we 
in some ways should celebrate that. We should absolutely celebrate that. There's a real hope that by spring or early summer, life may in some ways resemble what it looked like 18 months ago. And yet I feel this fear in my spirit, especially as a, a pastor, this sense in which we lose sight of the fact that struggles will remain and that we can get all of our hopes so firmly set on this one oppressor that we miss the fact that life will return both in good ways but also in difficult ways. Post-pandemic, you and I will still struggle. Some of us will still be angry people. The pandemic will not cure that. Some of us will still struggle with lust. Some of us will have a critical, judgmental spirit. Some of us will still have a fearful spirit where we doubt the goodness of God. Some of us uh, may see relationships struggle. Relationships fall apart. We will see ways in which addictions emerge. Old addictions, new addictions, they will come to the surface. All of these struggles will still be there in 2021. And I think of that through this lens of the ancient people of God because they found deliverance from their most obvious oppressor. And then they had to sit with the fact that it still didn't solve all of their problems. And I think that's something you and I will have to wrestle with, especially in the coming year. I think you see this in Isaiah 61, this passage that we read today. It's written after the Jews have returned from exile have returned from Babylon. They are back in Zion. They're in Jerusalem, the place that they've longed for and dreamt of for decades and decades and decades. It's the only thing they're hoping for, the only deliverance they think they need. And yet, when they get there, it's not the glorious return that they hoped for. You see this in the Psalms. Many of the Psalms speak of this aching longing to be delivered back to their homeland. Psalm 137 is a beautiful example of that, this aching longing you hear in those words. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? they said. That psalm feels like in Israel's story, this ultimate low point. Like it doesn't get any worse than that. And yet by the time we're reading Isaiah 61, you would think surely now that they have returned, their songs have returned with them. They've picked up their harps off the willows and they're making music again. Yet it's not what we see. Not even a hint of that really in Isaiah, other than this distant promise, this hope that someday that might still be true, but it's not what they experience today. Verse three that we read today is this word of comfort to provide for those who mourn in Zion. Think of the, the contrast in that statement, the people who mourn in Zion. You're not supposed to mourn in Zion. That's the place where you're free. You're free of all the things that ail you, and yet they get what they wanted most deeply and they still mourn. It's a very troubling passage. As again, it says in verse three, they're tired, they're worn out, they have nothing left to give. All that they have, it says, is a faint spirit. So if we apply that again to us today, sitting here at the end of 2020, with hope on the horizon, we might say, what do you and I do if and when we get what we want? but we find that we're still not whole. 
I think that's the question to sit with this week. What do you do if and when you actually get the thing that you want and yet you find you're still not whole? Maybe in light of this Gaudete rejoicing Sunday, how does that affect your sense of joy when you get what you want and yet maybe you're still not joyful? Because I think we live in such a way that says, if I get that one thing or those couple of things, that's all that stands between me and a life of rejoicing and a life of joy. And so we hold out that hope. Uh, We think if I just meet the right girl or the right guy, then I will be happy. If I can just have children, then I will be content. If I get one more degree, I will be valued. I will be respected and thought well of. If I could just pay off my debt, I would be free. If I could start my own business, I could be my own boss and finally make it. On and on and on we could go. We keep searching and searching and searching until finally we reach the end of our ropes, sometimes in desperation. But here's the scary thing. What if it's not out of desperation? What if you search and search and actually find the thing that you're looking for and realize you're still not joyful? That's a disorienting place to find ourselves. As I was thinking about that this morning, I thought of, it wasn't in my notes. I went and looked it up and scribbled it down because I, I remembered it. I've said, I, years ago, I used this uh, call it a poem. Uh, my kids love Shel Silverstein. I, my wife and I love Shel Silverstein, let's be honest. Uh, he had an amazing way with words and a way to uh, kind of uh, cause you to think. And so we would read this as kind of nighttime reading, and then my wife and I would spend many evenings kind of chewing on the words that we read. And I, I think my favorite of all of his uh, poems is called The Search. If you don't know it, go look it up. Shel Silverstein, The Search. And I think of that when I think of our topic today. Shel said this, I went to find a pot of gold that's waiting where the rainbow ends. I searched and searched and searched and searched and searched and searched, and then there it was, deep in the grass, under an old and twisty bough. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine at last. What do I search for now? It's a really thought-provoking poem because I feel like in a few simple words he sums up our modern existence. We search and we search and we search and we search. Sometimes we actually find that thing we're searching for, and yet the longing doesn't go away. That desire isn't actually satisfied. And so what do I search for now? In many ways on this third week of Advent, this is meant to be the answer to that question. The joy that we long for And the things that promise it and yet don't deliver are meant to be found in the babe in the manger. That Jesus at Christmas gives us a vision, a destination, like we sang today, something that we can hope for down the road that says this is your true end. This is a goal worth pursuing. And it's a struggle that you enter into, but it's a struggle that will not leave you empty. That's the critical difference in the Christian life. It is filled with struggle but it is not a struggle that will leave you empty. It's a struggle that we engage so that we can actually be whole. This is the good news that Isaiah speaks to. This is the good news that Jesus quotes. Jesus quotes this same passage from Isaiah 61, and he says of himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This is the good news. This is a life worth living, something worth giving yourselves to. 
And Isaiah speaks of someone, someone down the road who will actually have that ultimate vision, this ultimate end to which we can all give ourselves, the embodiment of deliverance, the embodiment of joy and jubilee. And Jesus takes that vision and boldly, miraculously, mysteriously says of himself, it's me. In me, the hopes and the fears of all the years, as we sing, are met in him and him alone. And so on this rejoicing Sunday, I think it's an invitation to look afresh at Jesus, as simple as that sounds. If Jesus is filled with joy, the uncreated light of God lives in Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, the more you and I look fully upon Jesus, the more we see a life worth living, the more we see a hope and a source of joy. And so if you feel confused in 2020, beaten down by the struggle of this year, or maybe have actually found the pot of gold. The pot of gold is sitting in your lap, and yet you still cannot escape the question, what do I search for next? The answer to all of these questions is found in Jesus Christ. As we close, I want to reflect for just a moment on Mary, the blessed mother of our Lord, uh, she is one of the central figures in this season. Last week, we focused on John the Baptist. Mary is one of the other key lights, we could say, that illumine the way for us through this Advent season. Why is that? I think it's because in Mary, you see the embodiment of joy. In Mary, you see the embodiment of true joy as God draws near, as Jesus draws closer. Because Mary receives the joy that Isaiah foresaw, that Jesus says, it's me, and Mary receives it into her very being, and she says the words of Isaiah. She sings it as a praise. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Here's why Mary's embodiment of joy, I think, is so significant, because it's not something she fabricates. Mary's joy is not something that she makes up or stirs up in herself. Did you notice we prayed a prayer today that begins with that phrase, stir up, stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. Sometimes, especially in the Anglican church, this third Sunday of Advent is called stir up Sunday because of this prayer, stir up Sunday. And it's a very good reminder that joy, lasting joy, is something you and I cannot manufacture, but is something God has to stir up within us. It's his work and his activity in our lives. I'll close with this. C.S. Lewis talks about this. Always a good person to close with. In Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis says there's a profound difference between joy and pleasure because he says pleasure is something that is in our power to stir up. Pleasure is something that's in our power to stir up, especially in challenging seasons. We can find things that give a sense of fleeting pleasure. And using his definition, 2020 may have been for you a year of pleasure, meaning we are desperately looking for things that will give a fleeting sense of escape, a fleeting sense of a pleasure, of relief. And so we search and we search for that thing. Yet Lewis says joy, genuine Christian joy, is never actually in our power. He says it's never something we can manipulate or situationally control. It is only the surprise gift that comes from God drawing near. And he closes by saying that he would not exchange that joy for the entire world. I think that is why we have a whole Sunday dedicated to rejoicing in Advent, 
because there's nothing about this story that you and I could manufacture or stir up in our own strength, but it is God drawing near to us and therefore giving us the gift of lasting joy. Uh, why don't we pray that prayer again? It's easy, and I know a few of you were still working your way into the space. Um, why don't we pray that prayer again as a way to ask the Lord to do what we cannot do ourselves, to give us the gift of joy rather than simply us leaving here thinking, I need to go find ways to find some pleasure in my life. So why don't you stand as you're able, and we'll pray this with one voice, and then we will continue with our service. Let's pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ, our to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. We continue with Nicene Creed. Please remain standing as you are able.